I want to talk about community. Community is uh, it's a buzzword in churches, but it's more than a buzzword. Uh, for some, it's just a synonym for fellowship. Um, but we believe that uh, it, it really the concept goes way beyond that. We believe that without authentic community, the church can't function as God intended. It's biblical community that provides the environment where high-impact ministry to one another can flourish. So if biblical community is such a fundamental value for dynamic churches, I think it's worth us taking some time to explore. And we've talked a lot about this over the last, uh, what, nearly 24 years. But let's talk about how we define community. I mean, it's right in our church's name, right? So let's talk about how we define it. By community, we mean the oneness that is modeled for us in the very being of God. Because God is community. So I think for our definition of community, we need to go beyond the normal, accepted human associations with the word and base our definition on God's definition of community, which we find all the way at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. In verse 1 of Genesis 1, we're told that God created the heavens and the earth. So however you think that happened, that's a discussion for another day. But in this, these verses, God is revealed as the one who thinks through the universe and then brings it into existence. He's the creator of everything that is. So in that sense, he's the father of life. Then we go to verse 2, where we're introduced to a different aspect of God. He's shown as the Spirit of God that hovered over the creation, the Spirit of God. And then in verse 3, says, God said, and there was. So God as the Word, God speaks the Word. And as a result of His will and His Word, what He has decreed happens. And we know who that Word is In John 1, it says the word that was with God, the word was God. Through him, all things were created. Without him, there's nothing. And it is the word that became flesh, Jesus, and dwelt among us. And we observed his glory, the glory of the Son of the Father. So three verses into scripture, we're introduced to the concept of God as community. Three persons, yet in oneness. God the Father, God the Spirit, and then God the Son. Community is deeply grounded in the very being of God. Community isn't something that God is doing. It is who he is. Community, then, isn't an option among us as humans. It ought to be the essence of our relationships. It should be a compelling necessity for human flourishing, not just a kind of fellowship where people stand around and chit-chat over a cup of coffee. That's not community. It's good, right? It's good, but that's not community. Community is something very different, and it reaches into the very essence and the being of God. In John 17, Jesus prays a prayer, and in this prayer, we see his heart for us, his vision for the church, uh, for the kind of community that his followers could experience, his disciples in the first century, and for everyone that would follow him, including us. This is what Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 11. He's praying, and he says, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they uh, may be one as we are one. We, the three persons of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The pattern for the oneness among the disciples was the oneness that exists within the Trinity 
and we're right back to Genesis chapter 1. Verse 20. This isn't a passing thought in a prayer of Jesus. This is at the heart of this prayer. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, these disciples who've been following me all around. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And Jesus is thinking here about future generations of believers, future generations of his followers. He's thinking of us today. And he says, verse 21, that all of them may be one. The supreme desire of Jesus for his followers was that they experience this community of oneness that was present in the Godhead for all of eternity. He says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. In other words, the most convincing argument for the truth of the gospel to the world is the spectacle of the community of oneness. For them to see community where God is active. Jesus says, this is the model that I want the church to reflect to the world because that's going to be the most irresistible evidence that I am real, that I am the way, that I am the truth, that I am the life. So the success, the ultimate success of the church in the world in terms of reaching the world with the gospel really comes back to how well we really display this kind of community to the world that God intended us to have. So we have to ask, how well does the church reflect the kind of community that Jesus prayed for? I think this is the most critical point as far as the explanation of why maybe the church has failed to be prevailing, has had less than great impact, hasn't had the impact that it's supposed to have in the world. I think history shows us that when the church has exhibited oneness, real community, it has become an attractive, radiant center of influence. But whenever the church has patterned its ministries and its structure on things like hierarchy, then the church becomes an institution just like all the other institutions in the world, and it forfeits its influence. In Acts 2, under the fresh impact of the Holy Spirit, people were devoted to the fellowship. The Greek word is koinonia. They were devoted to community, to fellowship, to ministry together, to meeting needs. And Acts says that God then just naturally added on those who were being saved because community had added this attractive center of authentic living. And in Acts 4, it says they were of one mind, one heart, one soul. So, What is community? What is that community of oneness in the local church? It's where people are living out the one another's of the New Testament, right? Accept one another, honor one another, love one another, forgive one another, care for one another, serve one another. It's where people are so connected with one another that they're willing to sacrifice their personal interests, their own time, their energies for the sake of the interests of others, for those who have different opinions, for those who are in need, ultimately, Love demonstrated by servanthood is the test of real community. I'm grateful for the spirit of cooperation and the unity that has characterized our church over these last, this last year, really the last 15 months. These months of navigating a pandemic and dealing with COVID protocols and, and limitations and uh, different viewpoints and strongly held opinions, right? Have you noticed that was a thing? It's all gone now, but... Um, We're all one now. This experience, listen, we laugh, but this experience has destroyed some churches. It's caused division. It's revealed division. So the unity that remains within our church isn't lost on me. So I'm grateful for that. 
But I also know that as we, ret- we return to whatever normal looks like, um, I know it's really easy to lose focus, to get our eyes off the thing that Jesus called us to, to become splintered and divided and petty over the least little things. So I think we need to keep our guard up. We don't talk about this much, but do you know the primary responsibilities of our elders at Faith Community is twofold. It's to preserve doctrinal purity and it's to protect unity within the church. And I'm grateful for the people who serve in those roles. Let me just take a few minutes and talk about three ideas around unity, okay? Um, First one, and the idea of of achieving and preserving unity. First is uh, acceptance. Romans 15, verse 7 says, Accept each other, how? As Christ has accepted you. This might be the most important verse in the Bible when it comes to uh, community, what biblical community, where it starts. It says, Accept each other receive each other, welcome each other, help each other, as Christ has accepted, received, welcomed, helped you. How did Christ receive you? How did he receive me? I think kind of the only thing that he asked of me when I was still lost in my sin was, was I willing to accept the salvation that he was offering me? He asked nothing else, nothing about my status, nothing about my pedigree, nothing about my education, nothing about my gender, nothing about my background, nothing but if I was in need of a savior and he received me as I was and that's exactly how we should receive and accept one another. This oneness that I'm talking about comes when we eliminate all the artificial distinctions and barriers and qualifiers that become the basis of our judgment of others that tend to creep into the church. So do you know where community is found? Community is found at the intersection of the two sections of the cross. That is where we are one, where we recognize our reconciliation with God and our reconciliation to each other. Whenever we add something else to that, whenever we make distinctions, those kind of further qualifiers as a condition for mutual acceptance, we've defaced the cross of Christ. And we have, we've just got to be very careful not to pollute community and with anything that would that we make essential for acceptance. Next idea is ministry. So we have acceptance and then ministry. Let's talk about how it flows. It flows out of oneness. It flows out of acceptance. I mean, who are the ministers in the church anyway? Is it the clergy? Is it the ordained elders? Is it people who have their name on a schedule? Who's responsible for the work of ministry? You can answer this out loud if you'd like to. Everybody, all of us. There is such a Close connection in the New Testament between oneness, community, and ministry. It's true all throughout the book of Acts. When they got off track, you can trace it back to uh, disunity. It's true in the book of Romans, especially in Romans chapter 12. It's true in 1 Corinthians 12. It's true in Galatians 5, where we're all one in Christ. Therefore, because of that, we are servants to one another. It's true in Ephesians chapter 4, where there's oneness, and as a result, God has given gifts for the equipping of saints so we can do ministry. And the connection connection between oneness and community and ministry is this, that we are all what the New Testament calls priests. And the New Testament writers use the word priest because they're writing primarily to people who had grown up in Judaism. And all the ministry that mattered was carried out by the priests. That was their cultural context. But now, since the Holy Spirit had come, the priesthood belongs to all. We call it the priesthood of all believers. 
And without that dimension of the priesthood of all believers, of Christians gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve and being freed up and permitted to do just that, there really can't be community. So acceptance, ministry, third idea, I'm just going to call outreach. How does outreach factor in here? If community is the most important thing God is doing in this world, then community is extremely valuable, and then I would say it's the most valuable thing that we have. And our lives have to be lived out in community. And if that's the case, then community deserves to be expanded at all costs, to be extended to those who are not yet living in this community, to the unchurched, those who have no church context, to the ex-churched, those who have some church experience, but it's not good. It was unhealthy or dysfunctional or even hurtful. I think community, according to the New Testament, does its outreach in two different ways. One is organic, right? Because it happens in the midst of the activity of life and the life of the church. It happens just by virtue of the church being present and living out our purpose and chasing the mission that Jesus has called us to. And if the church is really the church and living as the church, then community becomes attractive to people who are on the outside looking in. In Acts 2, verse 47, we're told that because of the, this effervescent life of the church, that people were brought to the Lord daily just because of this natural process of their becoming involved in community. I believe people come seeking to find out what's going on, wanting to be a part of it when we are living out in community. Because you know what? We are made for community. But that organic approach won't reach everybody. There are going to be some people who will be outside of the scope of the church's influence, and I mean in, in, in the scope of your influence, in order to reach them, I think there also has to be a strategy. It has to be strategic. And the best strategy, the biblical strategy, is to go where people are. I'm talking about the people of the congregation, because you are in touch in a very natural way with people who need the gospel. You're where people live where they work, where they entertain themselves, where they go to school. And throughout your everyday interaction, you can, in a very natural way, establish this witness. We talked about this a couple weeks ago in, in that two-part series about talking about Jesus without being weird. We, we talk about these things. And I'm talking about just being involved in the lives of the people already in your life to such a depth that when situations of need, of crisis arise, people will naturally turn to you. And say, I got this thing going on. I need some help here. Can you help me? Where do I go? Why do I, where do I turn? And then it becomes easier to introduce them to some people in your life, some people in your church, the people in your small group, or to some special event at church or whatever, or maybe just come sit around a table and eat some barbecue. But the road is paid for people then to make an entrance into the community of believers and hopefully ultimately into the kingdom of God. Evangelism is about living out what it means to be living in community and to let the world see it, and to work in together kind of in tandem in order to accomplish the spread of the gospel. Evangelism is the work of this community, a partnership where we're all full participants. And you know, I believe there is um, a sense, an optimistic, expectant hope among many of you. I talk to people in this church. I talk to people in other churches in town. And so it's not just our church. I think it's the church in our city and all over. Because we, here's the thing. I think we, become, we can be expectant and optimistic, 
because we haven't always experienced the kind of community in the church that we're talking about, right? But we have this same hunger, like you have the same desire for community that I do. And our friends and family and coworkers and neighbors who don't know Jesus, maybe they've never even been to church on Sunday, don't know what the whole thing's about, or they've never really even given it much thought, they just drive by and like don't even, doesn't even register for them. They too have a deep, innate hunger for community. And if you're like me, you're thinking, well, of course, of course, that's what the church is all about. Of course, that's what drives evangelism. Of course, that's what God wants for his people. Of course, that's the foundational value for ministry. You know, so what happened to it? Where did it go? Why aren't churches an irresistible magnet for unchurched people, for unbelievers, because they see this loving and caring and supportive environment that God, that distinguishes the church from all other institutions in the world? Why isn't that happening? It's a good question. I really do believe that the most convincing argument for the truth of the gospel to the unbelieving world is to see the spectacle of community, of oneness, of accepting one another, of honoring one another, of loving one another, of forgiving one another, caring for one another, serving one another. And in a way, we're all students. We're all learning how to go to the next step towards that kind of community that God wants us to live. We're all in process. This is a lifelong process of learning. I would just offer this. Let's let this be a defining moment for us as individuals, as family units, as a church for Faith Community Fellowship. Because to, today we're, we're celebrating returning to some sense of normal over these, ne- you know, over these last few weeks since we've been able to gather together and as things begin to change. We're grateful that God through His Holy Spirit has led us through these last few months with our unity intact, with our mission before us, with the interests of others ahead of our own. Um, all in all, I believe we're emerging on the other side, united, healthy, focused, optimistic, determined to chase the vision that God has given us and to pursue the mission that Jesus has called us to. And as we get ready for the next season of ministry to each other, with each other, to the greater community that we call home, let's make this a turning point for our lives personally and then for our church. We're going to celebrate what God has done. We're going to be involved in what he is doing in the world for his kingdom's sake. And we're going to continue to give him glory with our words, with our songs, and with our entire lives. Amen? Amen. You with me? All right. The worship team is going to come and get ready to sing some more as I pray. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we are grateful this morning for the example of community that we find in the Trinity, the the three persons of the Godhead, uh, the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We may not be able to get our minds around the theology of the Trinity, but we've tasted community, so we can identify with that. We really come to acknowledge right now that we have, uh, we've lost sight of the call to community. We've often neglected the call of Jesus to community, to oneness in the church. Sometimes we've been content with fellowship, with the equivalent of a small talk, when you've called us to something so much deeper. This morning, I'm struck by the priority that Jesus placed on community. When he prayed for his disciples and for all of us who would come after them. So I pray that we would reorder our lives so that we can prioritize community too. We want the one another's that the Apostle Paul talked about to be true of us. To be true of us as individuals, as family units, as a church. 
I know this call to community in the New Testament is to the church, so there's this definitely a great responsibility for those of us who've taken on leadership roles in the church. But this is a call to each and every follower of Jesus. Because after all, that's what the church is. It's us when we're gathered and when we're scattered. So today, as we consider the next chapter in the story of faith community and what that looks like, we're ready to pursue the mission that Jesus has called us to. Let this be a turning point for our lives personally and for our church. We want to be part of what you're doing in the world for your kingdom's sake. We give you all the glory with our words, with our songs, and with our entire lives. And the church said, Amen. Amen.